0: What's up everybody, hello and welcome to episode number 105 of the VK Bros, with the VK Bros, Jason Alex Von Kennel. How are you this morning, Alex?
1: Uh, I'm feeling much better, but Mm -hmm. I've been effectively out for a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Monday, so today's Sunday. Yes. On Monday, I had like a scratchy throat,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: worked all day. Tuesday, fevers, sweats. Little bit of aches. Not I, I couldn't figure out if the aches were from I didn't go to the gym on Monday. You did? Yeah. yeah. And I I don't know if it was I felt like the aches were from the gym. Right. It was a, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty hard sesh. But and then on Wednesday I was like, yeah, no no, I'm crook rat tested, negative. Mm-hmm. So it's just a Good old school pre Fauci bioweapon. Good cult. old,
0: good old fashioned garden variety cult. Just a just remember a those, real old cult. yeah. Remember those, like remember too, where like before the times where just getting sick was like a normal thing and you weren't looked at as a piece of shit. Well, that was the thing. Uh, I, it,
1: I think I got it on um, Sunday. I was hanging out. I was at Garden City Shopping Center. It was mm-hmm. packed. Yeah, and then the friends that we were with. They got sick. Right. And then they are like, oh, like, apologising. I'm like, dude, like, no, it's this is...
0: Yes, have you performed your own contact tracing? No. Have you called all of your previous sexual partners to tell them that you've currently got a cold? No. <laughs> well, I think, aren't you supposed to? No. no. Have, you, have you registered the fact that you've got sniffles on, on some sort of government database yeah. somewhere?
1: No. <laughs> no, but I just stayed out, you know, I just stayed out of everyone's way. Um... And recovered at home.
0: Nice, which funnily enough is kind of what you're supposed to do: is just get sick, don't infect other people,
1: and just get better. Thanks to Nugget Neil for picking up the slack at work for the
0: week. Oh, it's nice to have uh, co-workers, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. It was good. How's your week? Um, yeah. Look, my week's been good. Hectic, busy, but uh, worked three days. You know, worked pretty hard, which is always good. Uh, Tuesday went down the old stomping ground to get my car serviced and had a walk around Coolangatta yeah. and everything. Man, I miss that place. Yeah. It's so nice down there. Just did like the walk that we would normally do yep. every morning when we lived down there, and the weather turned it on. Sun was shining. Got a bit of a I saw a whale. Did you yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was more than one. There was whales going past down at um. What's that lookout down the bottom? Point okay. Danger is it? Yep. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, just yeah, literally everything was turning on. It was just perfect. So beautiful day, but apart from that, pretty just a standard week. Just trying to survive with the kids in the meantime. Can I put
1: a um, podcast shout out to someone yeah. else's pod- podcast? I'm working my way through it because it's a monster. Mm. But the Lex Friedman podcast with John Carmack. Mm-hmm. So John Carmack was the like co-creator of Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, yeah. Quake. And really seminal games in... I know my life, for sure. Like, I played all those games. It was the first yeah, the, video game I really the played. The birth of
0: the first-person shooter.
1: Yeah, and um, still a first-person shooter, for fair now. Mm-hmm. But he's so much more than that. Such a smart, smart, mm-hmm. smart guy. So if, the, if you've got to spare five hours and 15 minutes... Yeah, wow. Um, it's, it, it's a good one. If you're a nerd. <coughs> yeah. If you're a nerd, it's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um but, I, I mean, I've actually written some notes down out of it for, for my own, like, some develop, some stuff that I'm, projects that I'm working on. Yeah, cool. Because uh, there was some really, really, really good insight in there.
0: Nice. Yeah. I think I started listening to it yesterday, but I only, I only got about a half hour in before having to do stuff with the kids. So, I think that'll be on the list for this week at work. We'll be listening to that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: it's a doozy. Hmm. It is a doozy. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Let's get into today's major topic, which is the perceived and very real global attack on farmers. Mm. Seemingly out of the blue, seemingly, Mm. but has been in the works for a long period of time. So just to lay it out there, there there is a lot of different governments around the world which under the banner of climate change are imposing restrictions on farmers and agricultural land. Yep. This is what began and led to the downfall of Sri Lanka. Yep. Yep. Where essentially Sri Lanka had this new, I guess you, I don't know if they called it a green new deal, but it was like a new green way that they were going to be uh, prospering into the future. And part of that was banning the use of chemical fertilizers in Sri Lanka. Right. And then all of a sudden what happened was the cost of farming went through the roof so certain farmers uh, lost the ability to farm because they couldn't afford it. And the thing to keep in mind is the vast majority of farmers worldwide are operating operating off very small margins. Like three to five yep. percent is is the average margin. So everything needs to go right to make it in that business. Yep. So when you ban chemical fertilizer, and fertilizer is one of the biggest costs when it comes to agriculture. Yep. When you ban that and you have to then try to find other solutions, obviously that increased costs. That means that the smaller scale farmers are the ones that die off first and all of a sudden there became a food shortage in Sri Lanka. Yep. And it spiraled from there. Now, this has not just happened in Sri Lanka. These restrictions are being imposed by different governments all around the world. Yep. One of which is the Netherlands. And what is fascinating about what's happening in the Netherlands at the moment is you guys probably would have seen on TV there was protests weeks ago that we got shown on uh, corporate media in Australia. Mm -hmm. And it was like the farmers in the streets with all the the tractors and stuff like that. They were spraying manure at government buildings. Like this is... Shutting
1: down highways.
0: Yeah. If you know Dutch people, it was very out of character. Yeah. Like for, for Dutch farmers to essentially riot and yeah. protest and cause disruption. Very out of character for the Dutch. So, obviously, wanted to look into it to find out what's going on. Now, these protests are still going on. They've been yeah. going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we just don't even hear about it over and, here anymore.
1: And I also heard that the Dutch farmers are some of the most advanced farmers in the world. Yes, that they, is... They do it better than anyone else. They
0: are the most advanced in the world. Yeah. Now, the, the Netherlands is not a large country mm. as far as landmass goes. They're the second largest exporter of agricultural goods in the world. Yeah. Second only to the United States. Yeah. Because they are so advanced when it comes to farming techniques. Mm. So what happened over there is the government has imposed a 30% reduction on fertilizer. Yeah. Because and it's all centered around nitrogen yeah. emissions. Like that's that's the you know, that's the buzzword. The buzzword is yeah. nitrogen and, and not putting nitrogen into the atmosphere. And I saw a fascinating clip. Oh, it was a nine minute clip. I'll put a link to it in the show notes of a Dutch farmer that Jordan Peterson had reached out to saying, can you tell us what's actually mm. going on? And he's been doing it for like 30 years, 35 years. And he goes, this, this whole nitrogen thing is not a new phenomenon. This has been happening. This They started talking about this 30 years ago. Right. And what they were saying was that with all the nitrogen going into the atmosphere, it was going to make the rain acidic, which was going to ruin the nature, and et cetera, et cetera. And there was going to be all those flowing effects. And 30 years later, literally nothing's happened, and the country looks exactly mm. the same, if not better than it did before, because at the very least, these conversations did spur on innovations sure. in the agriculture sector. What he also explained is that the government basically came to him and said, we're doing this blanket um, cut down on fertilizer. And the agriculture sector, as they have done before, has come up with all of these different technological innovations that they can use to reduce these emissions. Mm. The government rejected all of them. Right. So it would appear, and at least it appears to this farmer, that... The intention is not to reduce the amount of nitrogen that's being put into the atmosphere. The intention is to reduce the national herd of livestock. Right. And he has said that he has seen this around the world where there is more of a push to lowering the amount of farm animals and moving to things like plant-based diets and you know, insect-based proteins True. and all that sort of stuff. And we've seen in our media over here... You, you guys. If you really think of the top of your head, you've seen these little seeding, seeding articles that they're putting all like dotted all throughout your your social media feed, dotted throughout news bulletins, things about like you know insect protein, why it's going to be so sustainable, and did you know that insects are pound for pound like higher than protein than beef and blah 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 blah. So this is becoming a worldwide phenomenon. But
1: that, I, I would just say on that the bug thing, mm-hmm.
0: that's
1: been going that's been worked on for a while because i was trying to invest in a bug company 10 years ago yeah when there was talk that it was going to become a staple not like mm. i never thought it was going to be like to replace <coughs> diets but yeah. i thought it would be a a great bolster of um you know would it be in be made of protein shakes or is it a is it a, a seasoning the ad is it a yeah is it something in support of
0: yeah, uh, Yeah. And maybe a cheaper alternative protein source for lower income people.
1: Well, I, but I just thought, well, not even that. Not even that. I just thought, well, in, I thought of farm yields. So, uh, uh, population is going to increase over time. Mm-hmm. The world's population is going to increase over time. Yep. And you're going to need to be able to get a better yield out of, uh, like, per square metre of land. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do it is the bugs. Because the bugs, you get to, like, you effectively get 100% of the yield. Of, mm-hmm. of whereas a, I think beef, a beef yield on like per head is is something. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's only like seventy percent. You can use seventy percent of of the animal of the animal. Okay. Whereas you can use a hundred. So in my head, I'm like, okay, well, you know, that's a better yield off each individual thing. And then how much space does it require?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, a fraction, a fraction, a fraction, a fraction, a fraction. Mm. Um, so it makes sense to me that
0: like we would move to that. Yeah, I think, and look, we're not experts on this. So this is just a a conversation starter and maybe we can all go and do a little bit of research afterwards. One of the things that I think is very, and this might be one of those seed planting exercises too, is that we as a Western society, at least in Australia, as far as what I have seen is we look at animal products, mainly meat. We just look at those as protein, but there are a lot more nutrients involved in meat than just protein. And I think a lot of the, uh, the talk around the eating of the bugs is based purely on protein content. And I don't know if there is a nutrient difference between, uh, animal protein and bug protein. I don't know. The bug protein might even be better. I don't know, but I know that like red meat, for example, is one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. So when you replace... So if say you're like your, your partner's vegan. Mm-hmm. For her to, re- to remove meat from her diet, she has to eat a whole range of different things sure. just to uh, get the same uh, macro and micronutrients as what you can yeah. get in beef. She must be winning, by the way, because she's not sick at
1: all. So I, 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 we've been together for like 15 years. I don't think she's ever had a cold. She is a machine.
0: The diet, yeah. the diet wins. Well, she she works on her health more than anyone I know. Yeah. And funnily enough, when you work on your own health, you have good results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But anyway, get, getting back to, to the point, there's a few things going on. So obviously, one of the big concerns is if you've got a country like the Netherlands who are up there with the most sophisticated farmers in the yeah. world...
1: I've extremely civilised people,
0: yeah. very organised. If you feel like they are contributing too much uh, greenhouse gases into the environment to the point that you want to lower their production because that's what ultimately results in this. If you, if you increase the cost of production by essentially 30%, because that's what you're trying to reduce the, uh, yep. the fertilizer usage by, then obviously the, the, the next result from that is always decreased production because the smaller-scale farms will shut down. Mm -hmm. I know that there is a lot of... I think the government is offering buyouts of farmland, Mm -hmm. which is always concerning. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh,
0: So you're decreasing food supply. Now, if you you are not intending to decrease the overall global food supply, because we live in a globalist society Mm -hmm. now, then that slack is going to have to be picked up by somewhere else. So you're literally going to be... Taking production away from the most efficient and, and environmentally farmers in the world of environmentally friendly farmers, rather in the world, and you're going to be increasing production somewhere else, which will realistically be from a less efficient.
1: Yeah, but wouldn't farm. that be Sri Lanka? So why is Sri Lanka? Why? Why? Like, if that was what the plan was going to be, mm-hmm. then all the rich countries would be pushing for it. Why is Sri Lanka at the same state as, like, at the same stage of this process, this shift, as the Dutch?
0: Well, they're not. Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka's, uh, they had a full ban on chemical fertilisers, and that's why the, the country just tanked. And well, was, no, no, no,
1: the the uh, the government tanked. The country did not tank.
0: The gov- uh, the government tanked. So this is what happened. They banned chemical fertilisers which meant that there was obviously hot, much higher costs for farmers, which most of the farmers couldn't keep up with. That caused food shortages. And when you have food shortages for a certain period of time and people can't eat, they hit the streets and they riot. Yeah. That's that's what caused the downfall of the Sri Lankan government. Yeah. They're, so yeah, their Green Deal... And this is interesting because when you... I listened to a very fascinating podcast uh, on Jordan Peterson's yeah. podcast during the week, and he was interviewing a guy, and his name escapes me again. I'll, I'll put his. Uh, I'll put this podcast in the show notes because it's fascinating. But he's a war correspondent, and he's been a correspondent for like thirty something years. And the guy's got chops. He was the youngest ever green beret mm-hmm. in in history. I wasn't as well. Yeah, cool. So he got green beret status at nineteen years old, and he's been a war correspondent, and he drops in everywhere, all over the world, to find out exactly what's going on. And one of the things that he explained, which is fascinating, is he said there's like famine breeds more famine. And what he was saying was that if you've, if you've got a situation where people can't eat for 48 hours, that's all it takes, two days. Mm-hmm. In 48 hours, they hit the streets. They start loo- like stealing from shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start trying to steal food from anywhere they possibly can because they're trying to feed themselves. What then happens is governments then always step in and start trying to put either price controls on food or controlling whether farmers can actually sell the food to. Mm-hmm. So they'll say to the farmers, you can only sell to these approved places. Yep. So then the starving people, after all the shops are empty, they start stealing from the farmers directly, which then results in the farmers going, I'm, not, I'm either not making any money or this is too dangerous, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. So then obviously you've got less production of food products, which inevitably leads to more famine, more starvation. What happens after that is because people aren't eating, their bodies become more frail and therefore they're more prone to, to disease. So the next thing that comes after famine is pandemics of all the different yeah. um, the diseases that are caused just purely by you know lack of nutrition. Then inevitably, what happens after that is people go. Well, there's no food here. We need to go somewhere else, and that causes mass migration events, and end up leaving the countries trying to find food somewhere else, bringing all those diseases with them, and then that spreads wider and wider and yep. wider. Fascinating podcast, and very, uh, very telling to listen to. When obviously we know, like we talk about it in Australia all the time. We are in the grips of you know skyrocketing energy prices. We've got the inflation crisis in Australia where we've got cost of living going through the roof due to inflation. Like there's all the news stories around. And I love it how the media will always put it in terms that us Aussies can understand. Oh, do you know a pint of beer is going to be worth $15? Yeah. So we're already being queued up to the fact that life is getting more and more and more and more and more expensive. At the same time, you've got these governments making it worse by making it more difficult for farmers to create food.
1: Yeah, that was a fascinating thing. That That's the part that's got me. So we know that there's issues with supply chains. We already know that it's hard to get things places. Yep. And yet we're going to add more handbrakes, very similar to the, like, in line with the change on import laws for cars. Mm-hmm. Like, why have we made that harder now? That's right. Now that we can't get cars.
0: Yeah. The, the what always used to be that we're trying to protect local manufacturing. We haven't had local manufacturing for what ten years now? Is it ten years? No, it's not that long. Six or seven, at least. Yeah. But now, so we've got no local manufacturing to protect, but we're still making it more expensive for the people to purchase vehicles. It is. I want to talk about Canada because Canada, I think, is a fantastic test case for this sure. too, because the Trudeau government has just done the exact same thing. As what's happening in the Netherlands, where they're trying to push for a reduction on these uh, fertilizers. So they are are forcing the farmers to reduce their fertilizer usage by 30%, which, again, increases cost. Yep. But also, they have imposed a tariff on any Russian imported product. Of course they have. Right? The tariff is 35%. Right. And this is all, again, it's being sold in the typical leftist manner of this is a punishment on Russia. We are punishing Russia by imposing this tariff on importing any product from Russia. The tariff's not imposed on the Russian companies. The tariff is paid by the person trying to purchase the Russian item, yeah. which means all it's affecting is the Canadian people trying to purchase these products. Now, they would, an economist would argue that well, because you've pushed the
1: price up by 30% for the Canadians, the Canadians are going to find an, an, a, mm-hmm. a cheaper alternative that's not
0: Russia. Yeah, and that that is a fair thing to say. Mm. The issue is, leading up to, and even including now, Canada imports 80% of its fertiliser from Russia. Mm. So not only have they said they want to decrease the fertiliser usage by 30%, but they're then also increasing the price of fertilizer by thirty five percent as well, which is being imposed on the farmers too.
1: Okay, so this is this has got me thinking because obviously, I know where your head your head's at, mm-hmm. and I'm not there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So where my well, first, do you want to do you want to say? Where? No, no, you go. The question I now think is, or the the question that I want to ask now is there must be a new technology on the way like in the works mm-hmm. that needs a bit of a uh, you know needs that the west has obviously come up with that we need a, a, a nice push mm-hmm. and that's why these all these policies are put in place
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's purely a business play so there'll be some there'll be some company some tech startup company yeah. that's created Blah 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 technology, Mm -hmm. and we like that's supposed to reduce nitrogen by X, Mm -hmm. and they're like, "Well, we can't we can't get this out unless we have like it's it's not financially viable unless we have everyone using it."
0: Yeah, I I I'll admit I I have had the two different thoughts Mm -hmm. behind this because part of me is exactly on board with you, and the new product is. The, it's the insect protein or the lab grown meat. Those are the new products. Because no, we... no, no,
1: no. No, you're thinking of a retail front. I'm thinking of a solution to the farming problem.
0: In what? In what So region? I think
1: there's a new. There'll be new tech mm-hmm. a new farming technique, tech or a new farming mm-hmm. additive that's used. A new type of fertilizer mm-hmm. that needs the that needs these restrictions in place first to become mainstream.
0: So, yeah, so you're sort of looking at it in the same way that they're putting all these restrictions on, you know, like our government wants to stop the sale of petrol and diesel cars by 2035 to, to force people into buying electric cars. Similar, yeah. similar sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. And you're probably right because... So looking at... The, when you take a step back and you go, okay, these farmers are all operating off extremely tight margins. We've increased the cost of... The I think fertiliser is the largest cost in in agriculture. It's either their number one or number two. It's either energy or fertiliser. I'm pretty sure it's fertiliser. So you've increased their costs, which will probably push a lot of the small-scale farmers past what their margins are, which therefore means that it's no longer viable for them to do so. So then what happens is they go, all right, I'm out, i got to sell. And in the Netherlands, you've got the government buying up farmland in other countries, you've got private entities buying up farmland, yeah. one of which is Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates is the largest private owner of agricultural farmland in the United States. Uh, he currently owns about 268,000 acres of farmland, uh, estimated at about $690 million worth. Uh, he also just recently, I think it was last month, just purchased another two thousand one hundred acres in North Dakota, and there's been a bit of um, a bit of controversy around that because apparently North Dakota has laws which state that large scale corporations aren't allowed to buy up farmland. It's supposed to; they've been uh, it's laws that have been around for like hundred sure. years to protect family farms, and there's all this controversy around whether or not Bill Gates purchasing that land is even legal. Now, from the business perspective, like you were saying before, the way that I look at this is I go, okay, this is simple supply and demand economics. We are increasing the costs so that the smaller operators can no longer afford to uh, to Plain function airspace, anymore. Yeah. So then they tap out, their land becomes cheap, and it gets purchased by someone bigger, who then, when the new agritech comes out, hey, presto, we're here, we've got the lion's share of the land, and we've cornered the market, and we're ready to profit out of it. Very well could be, yep. could be the case. On the other hand as well, you do have massive entities like the World Economic Forum, which are putting in place things all over the world around the control of resources. Mm. And what is interesting is the, uh, I think it's the Prime Minister or President, I think it's Prime Minister of the Netherlands, he is Klaus Schwab's, like, favourite baby. Right. And I, ne- I didn't think anyone... I didn't think Klaus liked anyone more than he liked Justin Trudeau. Yeah. But the Dutch leader is number one. Trudeau's number two. And it is interesting that <coughs> the Netherlands and Canada, both at the exact same time, have started imposing these same green policies on their farmers when... The, it was the WEF that actually organised the program in Sri Lanka in the first place, which caused Sri Lanka's downfall. And what you is it? Don't I don't say Sri Lanka's downfall. Okay, sorry. The the collapse of the Sri Lankan government. Yeah. To be more specific. And what is interesting is there was a um, a letter, I, I guess, on the World Economic Forum's website from the Sri, the last Sri Lankan president, prime minister, right. whatever leader was
1: the one that's now in the Melldog. Yeah, the yeah. one that now left with all the money. Yeah.
0: Talking about how this Green New Deal was going to sp- um, spur Sri Lanka into this new period of economic prosperity, and what was what Jordan Peterson spoke about on that podcast recently too was that Sri Lanka was a country on the up before this all mm. happened. Like we we might have from the west might have this notion that Sri Lanka is this poor country, and mm. but no, they were they were economically on the up beforehand. And then they brought in this new deal and it was all centred around climate change again. And now the government has been overthrown because it didn't work out what they were hoping. And that document's been removed from the World Economic Forum website.
1: I'm so surprised that, like, how is the WEF a thing? I don't understand how uh, a this group of people has any influence over what happens in the world. That. Still boggles my mind.
0: I do. Do you? Okay. This is an interesting fact for you. So you know how well, I was just saying Bill Gates, largest private uh, owner of agricultural land in America. Who is? Which organization is the number one land owner in the world? BlackRock. Nope.
1: Vanguard. Nope. Am I on the right track or not? Nope. Bill, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Nope. Uh, give me a hint. Uh, so in the world? In the world. Oh, uh, United Nations? Nope. Uh,
0: give me a hint. Um, just tell me. Just tell you? Yeah. The Roman Catholic Church. Oh, wow. The Roman Catholic Church owns more than 70 million hectares of land worldwide. Yeah, right. The Roman Catholic Church, in the past, has been a little bit corrupt too. They've done some things to potentially get themselves to that sort of... They've
1: got an extremely robust financial system, though. Yeah, it's, it's the, tax-free. <laughs> the, 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 the plate goes around, and yep. people put money in the plate, mm-hmm. the plate, and then at the end... The priest walks out the back and throws the money in the air, and anything God wants, he
0: takes. <laughs> 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 they keep. Yeah, nice. I, I didn't realize that was how it worked. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, the Roman Catholic Church, and what if, what I find fascinating is that, like, the WEF, in a way is kind of following a similar way. Have you have you seen Klaus Schwab's get up? I'll have to put a picture up of him yeah, in his yeah. little robe. Yeah, like he's the... like right, like he's he puts himself up there like he's this priest, right? Yeah. Um. But, I, but I, I can see how these things happen because in, in human psychology, we've always had hierarchies and our, our entire existence, we've gravitated towards hierarchies because it's been a successful survival strategy for mm. us throughout the ages, ever since we became, like, came to be. And power generally, you know, if people are attracted to power and when they see power, they they will typically follow it. And... What is interesting around the World Economic Forum is every single step they take, or well not every single step, but all of their plans follow the same playbook. It is we. This is this is the problem that we are have identified. Whether they've created the problem or not, but this is the problem we've identified. So, let's use the example of climate change. Uh, climate change is the problem we've identified. This is the solutions that we are saying are necessary to prevent the catastrophe of the problem that we have identified for you. And this is how we're going to do it. Mm. And the, by sheer coincidence and luck, key members of the World Economic Forum already have their fingers in the pies of the solutions to the problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're, you're creating a problem. And you're
1: to let someone else profit from it.
0: That's right. Uh, and, and the issue is, too, is that whenever you create a crisis, any crisis created justifies the spending of public money. Mm. So the World Economic Forum may not control governments per se, but their narratives can then feed down to governments, which then justify the spending of taxpayer dollars into entities owned by key stakeholders in the World Economic Forum. And then as they become richer and richer due to these things, they get more power, they get more influence. And, you know, you you mentioned on the podcast months ago before the federal election about the lobbying problem in in Australia. And we were talking about lobbying issues in regards to the pharmaceutical companies. And we've seen the detriment of pharmaceutical lobbying dollars in Australia. We've seen that over the last two years. Do you see the list? On Voice of
1: Victoria, how the elective surgery, how long the elective surgery... Was yeah, do you want in? to
0: outline it a bit for the viewers? Just as a brief side note. Uh,
1: so this is just for Victoria, but basically a lot of... Like when the pandy started, a lot of elective surgery was on hold to leave beds available for Rona patients. Mm-hmm. And like I know this, a friend of mine worked in the in the private sector and they had to put everything back just to wait. Yeah. And then it never got anyone. Yeah. But that number, I think, I think it was bandied around like, oh, there's like five thousand people that you know are on a waiting list. That number, I think, just came out. It's 85,000.
0: It was, was eighty seven odd thousand people, yeah. which, which are on the waiting list for elective surgeries, which is up from sixty six thousand yeah. people during the same quarter last year, and it is down thirteen hundred people from the first quarter this year. So these results were for the second quarter that have just been released. And the concerning thing about, like, look, number one, that's a massive increase year on year. Number two, if you've only dropped 1,300 patients off that list in three months, I think a doctor came out and put a a tweet out saying that they're on track. It's going to take six years to clear the list Mm. if they continue with the current trajectory. But also the concern is how many of those people dropped off the list because they had surgery? And how many people those, those people dropped off the list because they weren't able to get surgery yeah. during that period of time, yeah. if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, that obviously. And like, and like my, my friend put a big post up,
1: he's been in and out of hospitals his whole life, mm-hmm. and he said, How can we've spent, you know, what's the dollar spend on Rona? Do you think? Well, how much do you think Australia. Look, spent? all I know
0: is the stat that I keep talking about is we added $360 billion to our national debt during that period of time. So, that was all based on our COVID response. And that includes JobKeeper and all that sort of stuff yeah. too. So,
1: hun- we've spent hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. And yet, like on a, on a health related thing, yet mm-hmm. the health services
0: are worse now than they were before. Correct. So, how again, can you spend all that money and regress? Right. So, yeah. that, that takes us back to the point, which is. The pharmaceutical lobbying industry is one of the reasons why that money was spent and in misplaced areas. Because, uh, as to refer to another podcast I listened to recently, that PBD podcast where he interviewed the Republican former Republican congressman, yeah, I really that. right, and who who they were trying to justify their position on voting for Joe Biden, saying that they were non-emotional. And he said, "Okay, well, congratulations because you got exactly what you voted for." And they're like, "No, no, 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 this is what we voted for." So, like, no, 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 it is yeah. because you made an emotional vote. So, to remove the emotion out of it, we spent or we've added because maybe we didn't spend three hundred and sixty billion dollars. Maybe that's interest and stuff as well. I don't know. But we've added three hundred and sixty billion dollars for the national debt. And where are we today in regards to health outcomes in Australia? You said it yourself. The hospital system is worse than it's ever been. Mm. COVID cases are spiraling out of control. There's a lot of uh, posts that I see from Victoria. There's this um, Instagram page called The Broken Victorian. Mm -hmm. um, And it's just a whole bunch of people posting up going, hey, remember when this happened? Remember when that happened? One thing to remember, Victoria's longest ever lockdown, which ended up being, I think an individual on like 77 days or whatever it was, started because they had one case. Yeah. There are like twelve thousand cases a day. Yeah. So we spent all this money. Objectively speaking, we fucked it up. Yeah. Because the whole country is worse off, and we haven't solved the problem. Yeah. Objectively not even speaking. Close no. So you can you can have your beliefs in whether or not you know your pro-vax, anti-vax, mask work, mask don't work, whatever your beliefs are. The reality of the situation is. The problem is worse now than it's ever been, and we spend all that money. Mm. We probably could have done something else. But anyway, let's get back to the point. This COVID situation was a perfect example of when they used a... They created a narrative around COVID, deadliest disease ever, everyone's going to die unless we do all these things, which justified the spending of that taxpayer money, mm. right? Right. Now we're doing the same thing with climate change and attacking the farmers. So we are saying due to this catastrophic impact of climate change that's coming, which anyone who's been paying attention knows that there's been talk around climate change for 30, 40, 50 years, perhaps even longer, that we, we are, it justifies the changing of these regulations, the increasing of costs on farmers, which then increase the cost to eat on the regular people, which isn't a tax in itself. Inflation is a tax on people. So I I guess what we're trying to say is try not to get tricked by these narratives because the narratives are a means to an end. Mm. The narratives are selling a story, creating urgency to then sell a product or a solution. And that's what these governments are doing around the world. And whether it is the World Economic Forum has their fingers in way more pies than anyone previously thought, or whether it is a crisis being created by the incompetence of governments who are buying into environmental narratives and the corporate world doing what they've always done best, which is profiting from it. Yeah. I don't know what what it is. I just want someone to go, like, one of these... Because if you've listened to Klaus
1: Schwab speak, he's nuts. Yeah. He's nuts, and yet... He gets an audience with mm-hmm. all the biggest players. Yeah, like we're involved there. Australia is involved mm-hmm. in in the WEA. That's just crazy to me. Yeah, that is just that. Like, I want someone to just come out and go and look. It, you need like a Trump
0: type of person, a non. That's why Trump you needed politician. Clive Palmer. Clive Palmer needed to be running the country during this period of time.
1: Yeah, and look, that would offend so many people. I know. But but you need someone to like call bullshit. Like, yeah, this is bullshit. These these this indoctrination of 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 these young career born politicians to yeah. come up to like jump and straight back into this system. Mm. Like what we need to be like we need to vote on that stuff. Yeah. Yet we like that the, yeah. those decisions are being
0: made. That's right behind closed doors. Yeah. And
1: look, I mean, speaking of taking de- private jets to
0: Davos, to yeah, that's right. To tell about. everyone to to stop driving their cars around. Um. Speaking of indoctrination, did you hear that uh, Ukrainian pres- President yeah. Volodymyr Zelensky did a speech in Australia recently?
1: I asked, I posed a question to a
0: friend of mine. I said,
1: I said, who do you think he spoke to? Like, what, what demographic of people did, did he speak to? Mm. And he's like, oh, what do you mean? I'm like, what do you think would be the most susceptible to be able to, like, to, to, to charge up to influence? Yeah. And, yeah, it's the unis. It was university
0: students. It was live streamed to university students. And we've spoken before about how these uh, institutions are being captured and are manipulating the next generation of leaders and people who will be running these institutions, and the, the problems get worse and worse and worse. But Volodymyr Zelensky didn't do a presentation which was put on the ABC for all of Australia to see it. No, it was the university students. And what the, the uh, basis of his mes- message was, was these university students need to do their best to combat Russian misinformation. Mm. Send money. And send money. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, now all the university students are going to hit the streets and go, $330 million for Ukraine's not enough. Volodymyr said he needs more. We need to be sending more money. And
1: the big problem I got out of it, and, and anyone that says that we're, like, taking the wrong approach for this war and that we should just be, like... Like, we should be so anti what Russia's done. and Look, it's not cool. Mm. But I'd also argue, what happened to peace talks? That's right. Why Why are we talking about a resolution, a non-war resolution? Yeah. Not fight harder. We Ameri- America
0: torpedoed peace
1: talks. War sucks. We know war sucks. And, and yeah. I, I, I just watched another docu- documentary and it hit me like so hard seeing, you know, the... the what the trenches of World War One in Normandy, like, are still there. Yeah, and we shouldn't want that on anyone. No. Where are the peace talks? So the 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 only solution is not more fighting, yeah. not more weapons. Mm-hmm. It's let's okay, let's come to a resolution. Mm-hmm. Now you could argue, oh well, you know that's just Russia bullying and they get another piece of land. Yeah, they could just get a piece
0: of land. Mm-hmm. Do you want them to have the piece of land, or do you want all these people to die? That's right. What do you want? But but even that. Go back to just before the war started. Go back, find news articles listening to America's rhetoric before the war started. They were just flicking matches at Putin. Flicking oh, yeah. matches at him. Like, the whole the whole justification at the beginning of this for Putin to invade was that... In 2014, when Ukraine got its independence, they signed an agreement saying that Ukraine would not join a bloc, neither the European Union nor NATO. That was the agreement. And then all of the rhetoric prior to the war was America talking about how they wanted Ukraine to join NATO. So in other words, you're going to have NATO forces on Russia's doorstep, which was against the agreement. And I'm not saying that Putin's justified to invade. What I'm saying is that this problem was not caused initially by Russia, and when the um, tensions were starting to inflame a little bit, America didn't go whoa 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 let's let's just calm things down a little bit let's calm things down okay you're right that was the agreement we'll just chill Ukraine look we'll support you but you know as a, a, you can stay independent and that's all good no. America in further inflamed tensions and they started having talks with Ukraine trying to get them to join NATO. Like, they made the problem worse. And look at what's happened this week with Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, well, before, before you say this, so the, pro- the
1: big problem that we, we had that we've talked about from the outset was that if Russia was able to walk in and take Ukraine unencumbered, then China would walk in and take Taiwan. Taiwan, that's right. Okay, now that hasn't happened yet. Like there has, <laughs> it hasn't been. And people are saying it's because of because the Russians don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that for a second. Mm-hmm. I think they're just pounding them into submission. Yeah, I don't think they want. I don't think Putin wants all of Ukraine. I think he just wants
0: certain. Uh, um, yeah, like the is it the Donbass region. Yeah, there there are there is no incentive for Putin to stop the war because he is making more money than he's ever made. Yeah, like Russia, their economy is doing better now in wartime yeah. conditions. Thanks, than ever has. Yeah. the the rubles going through the roof. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up. I've been watching it. Yeah, because um, I was going to buy it, but I, I already feel like I'm on a watch list. <laughs> so I, I had said I had said that I because uh, I could have bought it at. 0.001 Australian cents Wow And now It is The Rubes The Rubes over uh, it's, No, it's actually gone back down again So in the last Okay, so in the last month It's up 10% Yep But like it uh, Overall Actually, if I go to the yeah if I, if I do the 5 years it's 10% down on the 5 year. Yeah. Now but there there was a massive spike at one point it was it, it was up yeah uh, 20 points. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now so get getting back to the point. Ukraine is to Russia what Taiwan is to China. Russia believes that Ukraine or at least regions of Ukraine have always been owned by Russia and should stay that way. Well, not No, he thinks they're supposed to be independent. But there are regions of Ukraine that he believes should be owned by Russia. Or at least be given their independence Before you go into that, if
1: you are one of those people that thinks the only reason why Putin is doing what he's doing is because he's crazy, or because he's trying to just expand his footprint, like, you've really got to ask yourself, like, is that... For someone that has got to that position, mm-hmm. you know, by hook or by crook, right? Yep. He got there. Yep. The the biggest, he's, he's probably one of the most powerful men in the world, yep. okay? Is that the mark of a crazy man?
0: Yeah, and the other thing to consider too is your thoughts that Russia is doing this because he is crazy makes you comfortable with Western governments spending all of your money on a proxy war with Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking about, creating a narrative which justifies the spending of public money, which goes to whoever knows because we don't get receipts yeah. for what everything is spent on. And at the end of the day, you're, you're talking about the lives of Ukrainian and Russian people that will be left on a battlefield because of a war which has economic benefits to certain people.
1: Yeah.
0: And And so, again, going back to the point, Before the Ukraine war, Russia war kicked off, America escalated tensions. Now, whilst America is in this proxy war with Russia, you've got the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, flying to Taiwan. who She is the highest ranking official, uh, American official, to visit Taiwan in like two decades. Yeah. Now, for anyone who doesn't understand how American politics works, she is third in line to the presidency. Mm. So it's Joe Biden at the moment when his dementia kicks in far too hard and he passes away. It's Kamala Harris. If something else doesn't happen to her, then it's Nancy Pelosi. So you've got the third in line to the throne in America visiting Taiwan, which is a an agitation of China. And the the claim out of America... The US has
1: sent the heavies over.
0: Yeah. To Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah. So And most
1: America I would argue this. Could Americans point out Taiwan on a map? I would say no. I don't think America I don't think most
0: people could point out Taiwan or Ukraine on a map. Do
1: we know what's significant about Taiwan? Do you know why we care about Taiwan? Why is that? Two thirds of the chips are made two thirds of the world's right. microchips are made in Taiwan. Mm. That's why we care. Yeah. We didn't care before, but now we're like, oh, my computer. Yeah. Oh, I want the iPhone
0: 14. Well, yeah. And I'm and not going to get it unless I get them chips. Yeah, and that's exactly the whole thing. Is It's like Pelosi's gone for, apparently, it's, it's against what the government and what the military wanted her to do. But she's just done it because the, the thought process, or at least what the conjecture has been around her, is that she knows she's very close to retirement and she wants this to be a legacy thing that she can tick off. She's 80 years old. So she wants to start a war before the... Um, well, she wants to help provoke a war. It looks, I did that. It, it looks like yeah. it. And the worst thing is, is that... I'm investing in Raytheon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, my husband's investing yeah, in Raytheon. Yeah. Yeah. But she is start. She's potentially inflaming tensions, which could potentially result in a conflict that ends the lives of people for, for no fucking reason. Yeah, for um, posturing. For posturing, that's right. So this is, this is the thing that you need to consider as a, as a member of a Western society. We're not being told that America is the bad guy. We are not. Yeah, yeah. we never get told. We never get told that like the West could do no wrong. Right? We just, the, the American government just spreads freedom all over the world. It's the first
1: time I said, like, have we asked any questions about this Ukraine, uh, or the Russia invasion of Ukraine? Mm-hmm. And it was like, you can't just go in and, and um, like, you can't just go in and send troops to a foreign in, uh, thing. I'm like, do it we all the time.
0: We do it. That's right. It's only okay if the West does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um anyone should go watch the fascinating documentary if you want a really good wraparound a, a, about America's attitude towards the world and world affairs. There's a really, really interesting documentary called uh, Team America, World Police. <laughs> yeah. And that that really sums it up. Yeah, that really sums absolutely.
0: It up. But look, I I want to take you back a few months. And remember when we were debating on whether or not the war was going to even happen? And we didn't think that the no, Ukraine war was going to happen at all. But one of the points that I brought up back then was... America knows that they are a dying economic power. Mm. And I thought, unfortunately, the only play they've got left is military
1: dominance. Ray Dalio said the same thing. Right. He was like, because of the economic changes... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've done a little bit of research into this. So, yeah, effectively, American economy is starting to tank. The dollar, people are starting to lose faith in the dollar. Mm-hmm. This, um, putting these sanctions actually put the american dollar in more jeopardy because then you push Russia into the hands of China mm-hmm. and Saudi even. Yep. And like once that petrodollar, once once people move off the US dollar as the as the currency to buy oil mm-hmm. and move to let's say the chinese one would probably be the next logical step. Yep. Then it's kind of over. Mm. You know, in this cycle. Yep. But one of the ways to and Dalio talks about it, one of the ways to change that flow of that natural flow of economies
0: is a world war like yeah, it it's, just, people, massive it's just just spread a bit of freedom around yeah. to the places that could be economically advantageous and it's to not it's not new it's spread happened, some freedom to it's happened time and time and time and time again yeah 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 so the the lesson out of this is do not like when you're listening to some sort of narrative because are all narratives Human beings have told stories forever Mm. to teach things because, you know, look at the Bible. The Bible's a series of stories to teach people lessons. Mm. It's essentially what it is. Human beings have always done this. Do not buy into the narratives. And I I identified something about myself based off the last couple of episodes because you know how you'll often chip at me and go, don't go down that pathway because you're too negative, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I I was thinking about that because you're right, I do do that a lot, and... I've realized why, and it's because we all look at situations through the guise of our own experiences, and my most recent long-term experience has been the sales industry, and I think I look at every single one of these situations, and I ask myself the question, could I sell this narrative to a naive person? And if the answer is yes, I get concerned about it. Because I know there's people that are way more intelligent than me with way more resources than I do who are selling that narrative to naive people and it's extremely effective. And the Russia-Ukraine war is a good example. The COVID lockdowns and narrative around COVID is an example. The climate change stuff which is now affecting the farmers which will affect how easy it is or costly it is for you to feed your family. That's another yeah another narrative. We
1: predicted and it still hasn't... We predicted... Climate lockdowns. Yeah. And in a way, we've kind of had tests of this, which is mm-hmm. don't go to school because of the light drizzle that we're going to get. Yeah. So let's, you know, it's still not, I, I feel like it's lost a bit of steam because I think COVID's still got some steam uh, uh, left mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. But I, I do notice that the, I think the narrative's shifting a little bit. Mm-hmm. The media will strike first. So the media will decide who they're going to uh, aim their sights at over this COVID thing, who they're going like, to um, lay the blame. They will set up the narrative to who gets blamed for all of this. So there's probably a bit of a dash behind closed doors trying to find... A scapegoat. scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's that person going to be? I
0: still believe that they, they will not find someone to point blame at because then if you point blame at someone and they have the ability to answer back, then you cause a discussion. I still feel that they're just going to completely segue us away from it. You can't not talk about COVID at the moment because the problem's worse than it's ever yeah. been. Unfortunately, you just can't get away with not talking about it. But once we get through winter and all the respiratory viruses start calming down again, which is what typically has happened, I do believe that we are already getting the airways filled up with climate narrative now, I've seen so much of it recently, and we'll be seeing similar things in Australia as to what you're seeing overseas. Because like you said, we love the WEF, you know, we we love the World Economic Forum, we love the World Health Organization, the Labor government tried to sign us on to the changes to the international health regulations to give the World Health Organization control over our country if they declare a pandemic. Yeah. Which the World Health Organisation is having another crack at now with monkeypox. Yeah. Uh, Do I have time to briefly explain what that is? Yeah, yeah, go quick. Okay. So the thing about monkeypox, which again is another narrative, the World Health Organisation said that it is a pathogen of international concern or whatever their their major designation is. The last time they did that was COVID. Ted Ross, who's a leader of the World Health Organisation, in his speech where he declared it as a pathogen of concern, he... He even admits that to normally get to that status, you need to hit five different criteria. And Monkeypox only hits three out of five. However, he still went ahead and declared it himself. Mm. Further in his speech, he then talked about how this is further justification for needing a stronger and more streamlined world health uh, policy. So, in other words, what is actually happening with monkeypox, which in Australia we've had 58 cases or something, and we've ordered 450,000 vaccines, which is something we can put to the side because I'm not even going to talk about the vaccines.
1: But we have. Because we know
0: that they sell. Well, yeah, they're going to sell yeah, anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. We know they're going to sell. Uh, but this is another play at trying to get the World Health Organization more power. So, Tedros is trying to use monkeypox as another excuse to strengthen the international health regulations. And funnily enough, just out of sheer coincidence, the only reason why those changes got voted down last time was who voted against them, Alex? Uh,
1: D. Trump? No. No, who did?
0: No. The Because you needed unanimous consent from all of the member nations of the World Health Organization. Right. And there was 48 African nations that voted against it. Now, where, do, where has monkeypox affected prior to it becoming this global outbreak. Oh, it's, a, it's an African around in Africa. Right? So now, all of a sudden, the countries that voted against the change to the international health regulations, their favourite disease is now spreading around the world. What sort of pressure do you think that does that put on Africa? So when you, when all these member nations go and vote on them again, like Africa, you keep voting down these health regulations, uh, regulations you're the problem, Africa. You're the problem. Mm. So then, is the play going to be, well, if you guys don't want to play ball, let's kick the African nations out of the World Health Organization, and then we'll have the unanimous consent that we need to then take over all the Western nations in the event of a pandemic that we can declare whenever we want. It'd
1: be, um, it'd be good for the Africans to jump out. If anyone can get out of it, they've done a good thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that is the play on monkeypox. Uh and again, it ticks all of the buzzwords because the, the claim is that it only affects or primarily affects 98 percent of cases are the men who have sex with other men community yeah. as it's now being referred to. Yeah, we've seen this play before, haven't we? Mm, mm. Absolutely. Remember when um, HIV/ AIDS was airborne yeah. <laughs> back in the early '90s?
1: And on that note,
0: do not get tr- do not get tricked out by narratives. Don't get tricked. Whenever you see something that gives you an emotional response, take a deep breath and go, what is the end game of this situation? Yeah, put your
1: white hat on. For I'm reading um, Debono's Six Thinking Hats. Mm-hmm. And I, it's an extremely good book if you're in an organization. You've got three minutes to prop it. If, you, if you're in an uh, organization and you, you're having ineffective meetings and, and, or you just want a really good way to map how you think and to be extremely efficient and pragmatic in how your thought patterns work, mm-hmm. I can highly recommend that book. Edward yeah. DeBono, Six Thinking Hats.
0: Yeah, get on it. All right, guys, thanks very much for joining us. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll see you next week. Bye.